Gordon McDonald, in his book, Mid-Course Correction, tells the story of going to one of those home improvement warehouse stores like a Lowe's or a Home Depot. He had a project in mind. He was going to get a new storage unit for his garage, and he did like many of us do. You go to the shelf, you get the unit, you're convinced it's going to fit inside your car. And uh, you know what happens. You roll it out there, and you realize it's not going to fit inside the car, And so he's got it on a cart, and he goes, wheels it back into the store entrance area and is looking for some of this, kind of a big section of twine. And thankfully, this particular Home Depot had a a large spool of this twine kind of near the exit door, because I guess there are a lot of us who end up in this situation. So he goes back there, and he kind of pulls off, you know, a section of it, and and cuts what he thinks is all the twine, and then he heads back to his car, and he gets to his car, and he reaches down to kind of get one end of the storage unit off the cart, and he looks down at the wheel of his cart, and he realizes that somehow a section of the twine at the entrance of the store had gotten attached to his cart. And Gordon says he was of the age where he kind of wandered a little bit out of the store because he forgot what aisle he parked in. Anybody in that season of life yet where you go into a store and you walk out and go, oh yeah, where did I park again? And, and so he realized, and he, he looked, he started looking up and the twine had gotten attached to his cart and he noticed as he lifted his eyes up, the twine went around the lamp post through the cart corral, the riding lawnmower section over here, and then he just kept tracing. He realized all the way back to the entrance to the store. And he just stood there. I'd like you to think about this series that we're starting as tracing the trail of the twine of your life. Because everybody's got a story, every blue chair. And some of our stories have maybe a few more around the lamppost, through the car corral, around the riding lawnmower displays, some of those winding, twisting turns. Some of us have a few more of those than others, but everybody's got a twisting and turning of the twine type story. And some of you would say part of the twine of your life is there's an unintended section of your journey. It's not how you would have ever mapped it out. Maybe you're right in the middle of going through some things that you never would have imagined going through, or maybe you've just come out of a season of your life and you said, I never would have written in the script like that one, or maybe you're about to head into your own, what you might call an unintended journey. In our own congregation, just in the last six months, We've lost some members of our congregation, Fred Whiteley and Mike Chappell and Christopher Brabson, and we've grieved together in different capacities for the unintended. That's never how these families would have mapped out 2016. And then throw in a sequence of some gut-wrenching divorce situations, wayward children, struggling health, financial pressures, job loss, and just... My sense is as a body, we just need to take some time and process some things together. Under kind of the authority and wisdom of God in all of it, to lift our eyes up like the songs we're doing and say, Lord, 
What do we do with this twine? How do we trace this journey of a life that maybe we would have never mapped out for ourselves? And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend the next five weeks. We got one week in the middle for our baptism and summer bash in a couple weeks, but the other four weeks, so from now through September 11th, we're just gonna go on an unintended journey together. This morning, you're just stuck with me because I'm gonna lay out what I'd like you to think of this morning as a theology of the twine. I'd like us to take a step back together to look into God's word together and say, Lord, how do we trace this twisting and turning thing called a life. And I'd like for you to think of it like a filter upon which that you're gonna be listening to in the weeks ahead. In the remaining three weeks of the series, you're gonna hear real life story from the blue chairs who we would all put in the category of an unintended journey. And we're gonna peel back some layers on it. And we're gonna go to some fairly deep places and we're gonna ask some pretty honest questions and it could get a little uncomfortable. But that's real life, is it not, gang? If we can't peel back the layers and say, hey, this person, this family, this is where their twine's gone. What are we gonna do with that? So we're gonna hear some real life stories and then we're gonna look to God's story and my prayer is through their story, God's story, we'll bridge it into our stories. And so I'd just like you to be praying with me and perhaps there's someone, uh, maybe you've come this morning as an invitation to someone, we're glad that you're here. Or maybe as we get into this series, some of you are thinking, hey, I need to extend a hand to someone who's right in the middle of their own wrestling with the twine of their life and just bring them along. I think this series especially could be uh, especially meaningful in those. So open up your Bibles as we get it going here. Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're gonna be at today. Isaiah chapter 40. I entitled this morning's message, What Do You Do When You Just Can't Imagine Your New Reality? Or it might have said it, When Your New Reality Takes Your Breath Away. Isaiah 40, the prophet Isaiah, a little backdrop on his life. Um, if you were a prophet of God in the Old Testament, you were immediately brought into an unintended journey because uh, you really didn't get a lot of choice with that. No one like signed up to go to prophet school and wanna be a prophet that way. That's not how it worked. That God just kind of picked some people and drafted them in. And generally speaking, a prophet's life wasn't an easy life. It wasn't a, uh, a very uh, physically comfortable life. So the prophet's role was, all through the Old Testament storyline, was to keep the character of God and the commands of God before the government leadership, the kings and the administration, who weren't perhaps very interested in having holiness on their agenda. Like God honoring and God fearing wasn't top of the stack on the administration's agenda. It was kind of way down here. So guess who got to go and confront that? People like Isaiah. So the prophets would go and they'd knock on Ahaz's door or Manasseh's door or Uzziah's door and say, hey, uh, Mr. King, we need to have a conversation about the character of God, about the commands of God, about the holiness of God, about the word of God. And we need to talk about sin and we need to talk about leading in righteousness. And when the king got irritated enough with the prophet, the king was in the position of all the power. The prophet was under the leadership of God and just doing what God asked him to do. The king would make the prophet's life very miserable. Cast him away, persecute him, physically abuse him. And they believe Isaiah was sawed in two at the order of King Manasseh, which 
I put in your notes, here's Hebrews 11, 36, up on the screen here, 36 and 37. Here's the Hall of Fame of Faith as they recount it. Many scholars believe these verses are referring to Isaiah. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. So today we're going to let Isaiah help us trace the trail of the twine of his life. And we're going to look at what does he anchor himself to? Because an overarching principle of this whole series is we've got to anchor ourselves to what we do know while we journey through all that we don't know. We're going to be very honest about what we don't know. But we're going to be equally clear about anchoring ourselves to what we do know while we walk through with open hands. Say, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. And we're going to let Isaiah be our guide today in chapter 40. Pick it up, verse 21. Isaiah says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Can you see, can you picture Isaiah sitting across the desk from a king and having a little chat about this? Could you, could you just kind of see the dialogue and where it would go? Say, hey, I need a little time with you there, King Manasseh. We need to talk about some things. And he perhaps rolls out some verses like that. And when he got towards the end, depending on how the king was responding that day, probably made his life quite uncomfortable. And I love how Isaiah, we're going to, four anchors today. Kind of like that song, our anchor holds within the veil. Here's where the four anchors are going to hold. The first thing he drops his anchor is, is in the sovereignty of God, that God's in control. Did you see that? How he, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and all its people are like grasshoppers. That God sits enthroned. The God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And even when everything else appears to be spiraling helplessly and hopelessly out of control, here's what Isaiah says. I know who's firmly entrenched on the throne and completely in control. The sovereignty of God. I'm gonna anchor myself there. I'm going to hold firm in that. And I think right on the heels of that, he's probably, as the kings were making his life miserable, thinking about how Manasseh and Ahaz and Uzziah, they're just grasshoppers. There's grasshoppers in God's eyes. Now, perspective, they might look quite big. They might have some really big desks, big offices, big thrones, big buildings, big homes. Much like, right, Vladimir Putin in Russia, Kim Jong-un. In North Korea, Fidel Castro, down in Cuba, Isaiah says, grasshoppers, Trump, Clinton, Obama, grasshoppers. They may have some really big earthly tents, but Isaiah says, the God who sits enthroned above heaven and earth, he stretches out his tent like a canopy over the heavens. That's my God. That's where I'm dropping my anchor. In the midst of all these princes and all these kings and all these people who think there's something and are running the show, Isaiah says, I know who's ultimately running this show, and I'm going to put my anchor in that veil, the sovereignty of God. He's absolutely and completely in control even when everything in my life seems to be out of control. It's real, really important for us. 
when we're on an unintended journey. When you don't know where this twines, Lord, what's up with that? I was thinking about how Isaiah must have like, how much of this he must have memorized. They call Isaiah the prince of prophets. Can you picture him in the jail cells or after enduring some floggings or maybe when he found out execution, maybe when he saw the executioner with the saw? What's he holding on to there? I think it's this. They may think they're in power Grasshoppers, grasshoppers, my God has enthroned in heaven a canopy before him. He builds on it now, verse 25. Look what he says. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Who do you know who could say such things like that? When's the last time you stood under that starlit sky? Right, when you got away from the city lights, and maybe this summer you got away from, right? You got up into the mountains, you got out into the pitch blackness, and then you got under the night sky, and you lifted your eyes up. And you were captivated by the number of stars that are there. And then Isaiah's words come to mind. He calls them each by name. He's got a name for all of them. That's the wisdom of God. So from the sovereignty of God, Isaiah draws attention to the wisdom of God. He knows what he's doing all the time. John Claypool is a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky several years ago. He had an eight-year-old daughter who seemed to be relatively healthy for the first eight years of her life, began to have some physical issues going on, and they discovered in the eighth year of her life that she had leukemia. And he was pastoring at the time, and he goes on to tell the story that she lived 18 more months And John and his wife sat beside Laura Lou just after Christmas, just after she turned 10, in her own bedroom, she took her last breath. And John and his wife were seated right there. John Claypool continued to try to pastor as he was going through this journey, took some breaks along the way, but... um, Someone got a hold of the sermons that he preached and encouraged him to compile them in a little booklet. And that's how I got my hands on some of the things that he talked about. And the three statements I put in your notes come out of the sermon that he preached the first Sunday after finding out Laura Lou has leukemia. And apart from God intervening in a way that no one could see, she would be gone in around 18 months. His first point of his sermon that day was, my Bible and my faith remind me of the challenge it is to go on living without many answers or explanations. Here's John Claypool's own words. We do not first get all the answers and then live in light of our understanding. We must rather plunge into life, meeting what we have to meet and experiencing what we have to experience. And in the light of living, try to understand 
If insight comes at all, it will not be before, but only through and after experience. The second point of his message was my Bible and my faith caution me against superficiality, quick labeling, and the jumping to wrong conclusions. He he equated it to an iceberg that's sticking up out of the water. He says, you know, life's like an iceberg. You just see the tip. There's so many layers. There's so much depth. Life is complex, and it takes time, and you've got to peel back. So there's a lot going on under the surface, and we have to be very, very careful at just placing judgment on what's sticking up out of the water. Third point to his message that day was, my Bible and my faith give me a vision of a God who accompanies me in my suffering and who triumphs over evil. Here's what he said that Sunday morning. I have a vision of God who has come close enough in his son to understand and who is powerful enough and resourceful enough to endure the worst that evil can do and then out of it bring the best. So John Claypool traces the trail of his twine and it takes a turn that would be completely unintended Never would have imagined, took his breath away. He talked about the depth of pain that some of you as parents seated here are currently walking through or have walked through when your child is enduring a level of pain that you can't do anything about or intervene. And what that does to the heart of a parent. And what do you do with the trail of that twine? How do you, how do you process that with God? Isaiah says you put an anchor in the sovereignty of God. You lift up your eyes to a God who's seated enthroned above the heavens where all the rest of the earth looks like grasshoppers. You anchor it in the sovereignty of God that he's in control. And then you put an anchor in the wisdom of God that the God you worship and serve sets the starry host out in the sky and calls them each by a personal name. He knows what he is doing even when you have no idea what he's doing, and you have no idea what you're doing, here's what Isaiah says you anchor yourself to, the wisdom of God. He knows what he's doing. And we lift our eyes up to that, the sovereignty of God, the wisdom of God. Now stay with me. We're adding the goodness of God. Jump down to verse 28, the goodness of God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Some of the most commonly quoted verses in all of Isaiah's writings right there under the banner of the goodness of God, that he always has our best in mind. And I love these images about, don't you love it how God's with us in the soaring seasons of life? Don't you love it when you start soaring in life together? Like the soaring seasons. It's, it's like when you're, when you're a student and you get the diploma 
and you realize there's no more professors assigning you a syllabus filled with stuff that you have to read, but you're free to never read again if you don't want to as a student, right? That it's like, that's just this feeling of, yeah, I'm soaring off. Or maybe as a young adult, you meet that that person you've been praying for and hoping for and, and you recognize this is the one and you plan the date and you're soaring into your wedding. Or as a young couple and newly married and you conceive a child together and, you're, and it's a soaring season when the birth of that child and they hand you and you hear the cry of that firstborn for the first time. It's a soaring season. And then you quickly move out of the soaring season when they keep crying They don't stop for months and months. And then you're thankful for the next section, right? Where he says, you're not just in soaring season, but you're gonna run and not grow weary. There's seasons of life like that, right? Where seasons where we're soaring, where you just got the job breakthrough, where you've just had maybe a healing with the health front, maybe you just had a turnaround on the home front. There's soaring seasons, and God says, yes, That's the God, the goodness of God displayed when we're soaring. How about the times when the goodness of God is displayed when you're running and not growing weary? What's that all about? How about those times in your life? Do you remember them? Are you in the middle of one right now? Where your to-do list is so overflowingly stacked, you gave up on having the to-do list because it's just a ministry of discouragement to examine the list that gets over-expanded each day when you worked your butt off to reduce it, it grew. Anybody been there? And this, the to-do list just has a cascading effect. And it's like the snowball that just keeps swallowing you up. And here's what you find. Week after week and month after month goes by and you're, you're pressing on in the midst of a season of life like that with an energy and a strength that is beyond you. You're busting your tail, you're putting your hands to the plow at home, at work, family dying, whatever it is, and you just, you just find you're like a sustaining strength carrying you along. Isaiah says, yeah, I know that God. He'll help you run. He'll help you run a really long way. And not get weary. Our 15-year-old Lily is a cross-country runner. And if you've been tracking the weather pattern over the last few weeks, cross-country season's in full swing. When she walks in the door at the end of cross-country practice after a good six, seven-miler in, you know, 100-plus heat index, the look on her face, it's Isaiah 40, 31. I'm like, she's not ready for the conversation then. She's like, dad, I don't want to talk. But I look at her, that's it. That's, I was thinking, that's so much like life. And then she's like, oh yeah, dad, I puked, you know, on the run this one. I'm like, I said, honey, do you realize that's real life? She goes, oh, dad, you're the only one who thinks about these things. I said, well, honey, when you're like at mile four and you just say to the coach, I got a heave over here and you blah, and you just burst and you just wipe it and you just keep on running and you finish. And I said, that's life. Is it not life? That's real life. I was so proud of her. And I thought, man, that's way better than any life lessons with dad at the kitchen table was going to be. A six mile run in a hundred degree heat when you got to puke your guts out at mile marker four and you got to finish. Anybody there? Stand on the side of the road and you're just puking up the guts of your like, oh, Laura, I think I'm done. And then you turn and God breathes a strength into you and carries you along and you got no explanation. 
And here you are in a blue chair serving somewhere around this place today. And you're running and not growing weary. Isaiah says, yeah, I know that God. I know that God. He's a good God. I can't always figure this thing out, but he's a good God. And then we all know what it's like, the last section, right? And then there are times. How about the walk and not faint? Where's the goodness of God in that? How about the goodness of God when you're like, I can't take one more step. No, walk and not faith. If I go, well, I'm out. And some of you, that's right where this series finds you. And Isaiah says, lift your eyes up today. Put them on. The sovereignty of God that he's in control. He's seated enthroned above the heavens, stretches him out like a canopy in the heavens. His tent is. Do you see him? He's in control even when everything else seems to be completely out of control. And the wisdom of God, he knows what he's doing. God, I have no idea what you're doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. You know what you're doing. I'm putting my anchor right there. You know what you're doing. You call these stars by name, personal names. If you can handle that, you can handle this. I'm gonna put my anchor there. And then the goodness of God. I'm gonna walk. I'm not gonna faint. You know, Daryl and Cheryl Fennessy were here a few months ago. Do you remember the Fennessy's? There's a pic of them. Missionaries serving in Berlin now. They, they spoke at the end of April. Do you remember some of their stories they shared? The reason they're in Berlin now, by the way, they got there first part of June. Um, they're there because there's 200,000 Syrians pouring into the suburbs of Berlin. And they went there to say, hey, we got to serve them in Jesus' name. Syria, Syrians are one of the most unreached peoples of the whole world. And um, so they're there. And when they get there, they're like, well, Lord, we got to find a physical space where we can start meeting the physical needs of the refugees, like find a little storefront, something to rent so they can like start providing some food and maybe some clothes and some other things. And then they'd like to start a church out of this, what they call a little storefront center, like a life center. And so they started looking for a place. Can you picture trying to find rented property in Berlin with 200,000 Syrian refugees just pouring in? Needless to say, it's scarce. And not every landlord is extremely interested in providing property to care for refugees. So, of course, Daryl and Cheryl would be honest. Hey, this is what we'd like to do. We'd like to kind of get a life center going here. We'd like to get a church planted. We'd like to help this massively overwhelming situation in Berlin. And so Daryl has been corresponding with me. And he sent me this note recently regarding, next slide, this piece of property. Said it used to be a Greek restaurant. It's 1,900 square feet, and the owner heard what we wanted to do, and we settled on a price, and it was the same amount, hear this, that we offered to pay on 900 square feet the week before. They went to a place, thought they'd found the right spot, 900 square feet, made an offer, and the landlord said, No way, no shape, nothing you're going to do here in Jesus' name was not real friendly towards the Jesus stuff. So, boot, got the boot out. And Daryl and Cheryl, are like, All right, Lord, guess you got something else. A week later, 1,900 square feet, 
same price. And look what he says here. The Lord always knows better than we do. Wisdom of God, goodness of God, right there. It even has a detached apartment, which which will become the Martin Luther Guest House. Get your team ready, Eagle. (laughs) For accessibility, the underground train is right out front, 10 steps away. Everyone goes everywhere on these trains. All the refugees have passes. So we're as convenient as you can get. We thank him for Eagle Church, whose generosity gives us the ability to rent and set up this center. We are busy now at Ikea and other stores buying two kitchens and all the furniture necessary. We don't even have to buy a sign over the old restaurant sign that you see there. We're going to write this, New Life Center in German on the left and Arabic from the right. How about that? And do you remember the Phenicies? Remember remember them tracing the trail of the twine of their life? Do you remember them telling the story when they're in Beirut and she's holding her firstborn child in Lebanon? And the bombs are dropping all around her. And they're having to military evac them out of there. What are they going to hold on to? The sovereignty of God. The wisdom of God. The goodness of God. And then and they went to Tunisia and got some work going to Tunisia. And now they're there in Berlin. Do you, do you think the cumulative effect of seeing God work on the twine of their life? How many twists and turns in the fantasy's life? And there they are, laboring away with the Syrians in Berlin. And what are they holding on to? The same things that Isaiah's talking about. God's in control. He knows what he's doing. And he's always got our best in mind. That's what we do when this twine goes places we never could have imagined. They would have never specked out that particular piece, but they've learned even when we don't know what we're doing, God knows what he's doing. He's so good at guiding lives. And then lastly, Isaiah says, back to verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. This is the silence of God. He doesn't always answer our questions. Have you met him? This is the God, hear this now, silent but not absent. Silent but not absent. Nowhere in this book and nowhere when you trace the trail of the history of Jesus' people do you see a consistent promise that God is going to answer every why this, every what about, every I don't know how to process this, every God, you got to help me see this. You know that God, there are times in which he does, and we are grateful when he does, but you and I both know there are far more times when God of Isaiah 40, 27, he hears the cries of his people. How about all the lines in the Psalms? Have you thought of the irony of this? Read the Psalms. Look at all the cries out. God, how long? God, come through. God, help. God, give us an answer. And then they'd be complaining about, but you continue to remain silent. How Ironic, isn't Psalms filled with crying out prayers of why God is remaining silent. And yet they're praying, talking to him. That's it. That's real life. The silence of God as part of our, that's an anchor. We've got, we've got to put an anchor there. We've got to be real honest and real clear. 
I have sat with far more families in my 24 years around here with you guys. I've sat far more of you in the valleys of suffering, in the silence of God than anything else. There certainly have been times when he's lifted up his voice and we have rejoiced together. I'm just talking about if you stacked them all up far more in the silence. And what do I hold on to there? Is that, hey, God's, God's, agent, God's valuing something in all of this much more than answering my questions as desperately as I'd like to get some of them answered. That God's got something else going on in the silence. Which takes us back to then what are you, you going to put your anchor? You're going to put it in the sovereignty of God that he's in control. You're going to put it in the wisdom of God. He knows what he's doing. You're going to put it in the goodness of God. He always has our best in mind. Even in the midst of when you're embracing the silence of God. When you're crying out for answers. And you're crying out for understanding. And you know he's with you. Silent but not absent. Because he never promised answers. He never promised exemption from all the pain. He never promised Isaiah wouldn't endure the saw. What did he promise Isaiah? And what does Jesus promise all of us? I will be with you. I will not be absent. But I might be silent. And that's where some of you are right now. So you remember uh, Gordon McDonald in the Home Depot parking lot? Well, he looked up, stared at the trail of twine all through this Home Depot lot, got down his cart, unwound it, and guess what he did? Retraced his steps. He went like this, all the way back, around the cart corral, Around the riding lawnmower display, around the lamp post, he got to the entrance where the spool was supposed to be. Guess who was standing there? One of the store managers. The store manager was looking at this spool of twine, very perplexed. Like, just a few minutes ago, there were several hundred feet on it, and it's kind of looks like it's empty, and he's just kind of standing there, and, and Gordon walks up, looking for something. Guy kind of looks at him. All Gord says is, long story. <laughs> Hands it, walks away. It's a long story, isn't it? Some of you looking back over the home parking lot of your life and if you're to reel up the twine right now it's a long story and my prayer is that you join me in lifting your eyes up to the God who sits enthroned over the circle of this earth who's sovereign, who's in control. Do you see him? Can you see him? Put your anchor in the wisdom of God. 
He knows what he's doing. And don't lose sight of the goodness of God. He's always at work with our best in mind. You might be soaring. You might be running and not growing weary. Maybe you're walking about ready to faint. He's there. He's with you. But it may be silent. Silent but not absent. And so I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Worship team, come on back up. Several weeks ago, um, I was talking with Austin Sterling, who's going to sing this song for us. And I just said, Austin, I feel like as a body, we need a song. The role of music to get to the inmost places, right? There's just something about way beyond just spoken word at times, the, the role of music. And that's my prayer for these moments together. And as the team leads us through this song, I want you to heed the invitation, the invitation to come. And this is sacred space for you. These benches are here. You just wanna come and kneel and just your own way of taking the long story of the 20 year life and just bringing it to the altar and saying, Lord, here I am. And by you coming, you're just simply saying, Lord, I'm gonna anchor myself in your sovereignty, in your wisdom, in your goodness, and your silence. Knowing that though you may be silent, you are not absent. So if you feel led, you come and pray. You can pray right where you're at in your seats as well. And then at the end of the song, I'm just gonna kind of lead us through a little response time together.